students and 11 leaders and had an amazing time. And what we get to do there this year, we got to speak to probably over 3000 students um, while we were there speaking in the schools, getting to impact their lives. And one of the things we get to do is we get to go to them and say, Hey, God has a plan for your life. And there's something bigger than what you're currently living for. And for many of them, they're just trying to survive. They're not really looking for goals or plans or dreams. And so we get to help them step forward and say, there's hope for your life. And we get to be a representative of hope to these people. We kicked off a new series last week with a really simple concept of God's foreknowledge, right? Um, oh wait, never mind. That's a big uh, topic and that's a big debated topic throughout the history of Christianity. And we were looking for this key truth that God has chosen his people for a purpose. And the goal of this series is to focus on how God sees us. Because you see there's, you know, God has a plan for your life, but so do a lot of other people. You know that? And, and many other people have, want to attempt to define you, but only Jesus has the authority to define you. And so as it comes into focus of how God sees us, we can live in light of who we are. And that's the whole point of this series. And this summer, we had the opportunity to be hope and to represent hope to people in Mexico, Nicaragua, Appalachia, Guatemala. And knowing this congregation, you guys are probably all over the world sharing Christ with people. And it's amazing to be a part of a congregation that brings hope to people everywhere. And um, we, I've heard it said, because we're talking about how we are hope today. I've heard it said the worst thing that somebody can lose in life is hope. You see, they can get through anything if they still have hope. But once there's a sense of futility or this isn't going to work out, people will actually stop giving effort way before their energy runs out. And they'll just give up. So the hope, hope is actually the worst thing you can lose. And here's what I know about you guys. Every one of you have some situation in your life that you have probably chalked up to being hopeless. Some relationship, a situation at work, your friends, finances, maybe your marriage. I don't know what you're coming in here today, but I know that we have situations, especially with like extended family, right? Certain people that were like, hopeless. <laughs> 
And we kind of say, that one doesn't have a chance. It's gone. It's not going to happen. My prayer for you today, as I've been praying for you, my prayer is that you walk out the doors different than you came in. Because you realize there is hope. Because our God lets you know that he's in charge and he knows what he's doing. And I'm pretty sure the word says there is nothing impossible for God. So today we're focusing on this hope. And so I looked up in Webster's the definition for hope. And there's three different main definitions that you find. And the first one is to intend, if possible, to do something. Now, this is the type that we say, I hope to work out, right? Many of us. I, I hope to read that book someday that you gave me. I hope to clean the toilets at some point. I hope to wash my car. I hope to floss my teeth. <laughs> That's something that I should do more of. Uh, but we say, I hope. And so there's situations for all of you that you're like, I hope I get to do that. I intend to do that. I hope at this stage of my life to sleep through the night. That would be amazing. If my kids would let me just sleep from the time I went to bed till my alarm went off, that would be awesome. And I intend to do that every night, but for some reason it seems not possible, which is not cool. All right, so the next two definitions. Um, so the next one says to want something to happen or be the case. So intend if possible to do something or want something to happen. I hope this happens. The best way I can illustrate the difference between the, this definition and the next one we're going to talk about is looking at Kentucky sports, all right? Um, I'm a huge Kentucky fan, and uh, there's two different main seasons that we watch the sports. Right now is football season, all right? And when I say I hope Kentucky wins in football season, that is a shaky hope, all right? I've seen a lot of years of painful being a fan of Kentucky, and Florida beat us again for 29 years in a row yesterday all right that hurt again all right and so that's a shaky hope that i have in kentucky football it's getting better it, I, I actually think we are um but there's a different season basketball season right and so when i say i hope we win in basketball the chances are like really good all right 38 and one's a pretty stinking good record all right this last year so I would always hope that we won, won, and I knew that I put my faith in something decently secure. But it's not always a sure thing, because I just want it to happen, but it doesn't always happen. But the last definition is this, a desire for a certain thing to happen. See, there's a huge difference in putting your hope. False hope is actually a very dangerous thing. It keeps us going after something that's never going to give us a return on the investment. But hope in something that's certain is what we want, right? Every one of us want to know that I'm putting my hope in something certain when it comes to, is my family going to work out? Am I going to spend eternity with God after I die? I don't want that to be shaky, like, eh, I don't know, it's not really that big of a deal. It's like, these are big deal situations that I want to have a firm hope in. And, and a, another illustration from Kentucky, got to love them, um, today. And so uh, I was watching a game whenever in 96... I was, I don't know, 15 years old, and I was watching this game, and Kentucky is down 31 points with 15 minutes left to go. I looked at my parents and said, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm not watching this anymore. This is terrible. And so I wake up in the morning. They're like, 
you won't believe it? We came back. I'm like, whatever. That has never happened. And they're like, no, seriously, you got to see this. And so what did I have to do? Well, I had to find a VHS tape, right, of somebody that had recorded it. There was no DVR. You couldn't stream it later. I had to find somebody that recorded the game. And so I put it in, and I start to watch it. I'm watching the game, and I'm seeing Ronnie Henderson just draining threes, and we're like, daggone it. And I'm, I'm getting nervous. And, and I see this moment where they're down 31 again, and then we hit a few shots, and I'm getting excited, and then I, I'm nervous again. And, and then all of a sudden, of course, slowly but surely, Tony Delk, Walter McCarty draining three after three after three, and then, boom, we win. And I'm like, yeah! But then I go, why was I nervous? I... I knew the end from the beginning. And church, we know the end. And yet we get so nervous and worried and struggle when things don't go exactly as we want them to go. But my God wins. I've already read the end of the story. The book, the final chapter is written and we know God won. Satan zero. He is the champion of all. And that's something to celebrate today. And so in that, worry is not meant, and nervousness like that's not meant to mark the life of somebody who knows God. Because what do we know? There's always hope. And that's the hope that we're talking about today. And we're going to jump into 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. I love series where we just get to dive into a book of the Bible and just walk straight through it. And we're going to see Peter talking to people that needed hope. So let's look at 1 Peter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are so many reasons to praise Him, are there not? There's so much that we could do. And if you want to, just take a moment to write down one thing you're thankful for right now. Because it's so important to have this practice of thanksgiving in our lives. So just write down the first thing that comes to your mind. What are you thankful for? What do you praise God for today? Because when we stop in Thanksgiving, it has this opportunity to kick our pride in the teeth a little bit. Because this verse says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, praise be to me because I'm awesome. And I have provided for everyone and I've done all this by my own self-effort. What do we need to realize? Every good and perfect gift is from above, right? From Him, from God. He's the one that's given. So I stop in Thanksgiving and I begin to say, God, I'm thankful. For who you are and what you've done. So what were you thankful for? Freedom? Family? Football's back in session? I don't know. Um, but what does Peter praise God for most? Let's continue. He jumps in and he says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. Now, why do we have to talk about mercy? We're all good people, right? God should love us because I have good intentions. I do good things a lot of times. I, I help people, I give, I'm, I'm a good person, I don't really need God's mercy. Well, actually he stops here because the most important thing of understanding who we are is to understand who God is. And do you know what the fundamental attribute of God is? The fundamental attribute that penetrates all other attributes of God is his holiness. He has a holy, perfect love, a holy, perfect grace, a holy, perfect justice. So he is holy and set apart. Holy means he's perfect. Now, a perfect God can only have fellowship with perfect people. 
And you're all perfect in here today, right? We all have perfection. We're good to go. I got this covered. No, actually, every one of us are screwed up. Here's the problem. God does know our hearts. And I have wicked, terrible things that happens in my heart sometimes. And I go, am I saved? Like, what in the world am I thinking? Because I have these feelings, emotions, things that drive me down a path. And I do things and think things that aren't good. The truth is we all fall short of the perfection of God. So it's only by his mercy, because it also says that the wages of sin is death. So the only reason you're alive today is the mercy of God. We rest in knowing that he has given us his mercy. And that's where he starts with praise be to God. Because he's given us mercy. Because he could have taken me out. But he continues, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, new birth lets us know that something miraculous has happened. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And in his mercy, he gave us a new birth. That can't happen just naturally. (laughs) That's weird. Instead, it's something that is supernatural and amazing that only God can do. Last Sunday, it was was incredible. Upstairs, we had an encounter. And at encounter, we got to baptize eight students. And it was incredible. Like, okay, you you got, yeah. Great. Yeah, that hand clap was terrible compared to what happened that night. It was ridiculous. You should have been there. The environment was alive and crazy. People are shouting, cheering, clapping, going crazy, celebrating, hugging. It was nuts. It was amazing because here's what we were celebrating. The old is gone. The new has come. And people just threw down with the angels and it was a ruckus party is what it was in the room. It was amazing to be a part of it. And every time somebody went down, I went, oh my goodness, new birth, new life. God's mercy has met them and brought them to new experiences. They're forgiven and free. The old is gone. The new has come. Wow. And what this lets us know is that God has not only said, be hopeful, but he put his hope in us. Do you know that God makes us perfect through the blood of Jesus so that he can put his presence in us? It's all about making us clean so that he can dwell in us and give us hope when we're hopeless. And give us peace when we think that all is crazy around us. And he can give us love when we run out of love. Because it's not about us mustering it up and showing God we can do it. It's about us recognizing our faults and failures and saying, God, I need you. And then he places his spirit and presence in us so that we can always have hope. Not just telling us, you should have hope. Instead, he's like, I'll provide it for you. But he doesn't stop there. He continues and says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God wants us to know that no matter how hard life gets, he has hope he's going to put in you. But he also has hope for us. And here's the reality. If you're a Christian in here today, this is the closest to hell you will ever get. 
The pain that you go through in this life is the worst you're ever going to experience because we had this incredible party at Encounter last week as people were baptized, but that doesn't even compare to the party we're going to have in heaven with the king forever. It's going to be amazing. And so no matter what you're going through, the trial, the struggle, this is the worst it gets. It's just going to get better. And the alternative is also true. If you're trusting in yourself and you think you got this and you're measuring out your standard of hope based on this shaky reality of how good you are and trusting in yourself, this is the closest to heaven you will ever be. And the good you experience in this life is really good and there's great moments. But your hope is incredibly shaky if you're trusting in your own good deeds. Because God is not just a good God, he's a perfect God. And he can only have fellowship with perfect people. And he wants you not to have a hope in you of what I can do, but he wants to have hope for you based on what Jesus has already done. And, and he's writing to a people who need to know that there's hope. Because these people are going through some difficult scenarios. In this, you greatly rejoice. Because it's amazing. You have hope in you, for you. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see, all kinds of trials. This is talking to a people that understand what it's like to be a rebel uprising. This is not the prominent religion. These are people who are being imprisoned for their faith. These are people that are having their families split apart. Many of them have had to watch their family members die in front of them and then put in prison. They've had to either denounce their faith or die. That's the reality for many of these people that this letter is written to. So did they need hope? Yeah. They needed to, to know that there is hope more than anything. These have come. See, God has a purpose in the midst of pain. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And what we realize from this passage is you're, you're going to go through trials. Actually, do you know Jesus promises that? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Thanks, Jesus. That's great. I really appreciate that. It's awesome. He says, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. It's coming, and it's, it's going to happen. It's not a question of if, but when. You are going to go through trials, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And you see, it's really easy when we're walking with other people through their trials to give them hope, right? Because they're explaining it to us and we're listening and we have that compassion in our hearts. And we just say, hey, just let go and let God. It's all good. God works for the good of those who love him. We have all these great platitudes for them. And then we go through a trial and we're like, oh, no, what in the world? God, where are you? You're not even there. And we begin on our behalf, to doubt like crazy. But for others, we have these really hopeful words. It's because I think our life is a lot like this. It's a lot like a train. A train is moving towards a destination, and it's going forward 
and there's three main parts of a train. You have the engine, the train cars, and the caboose. These are the three main things that kind of represent our lives. And so with our life, we have this tendency, we get to put our faith in some engine. This is what's going to direct us in our lives. This is what's going to drive us forward. So we're going to place our faith in something. And when we go through trials, I think the primary thing we put our faith in is our feelings. We begin to just go, oh my goodness, but this is so hard and this is terrible and I can't believe this is happening. And we let the facts of the situation follow. Those are in the, the end of the conversation. And, and we just let the feelings of the moment drive us. Let's go to another sports illustration for today. When we watch a game with somebody, say we're, uh, we're watching with our rival team, uh, the, uh, fans of the rival team, we're watching this game, and all of a sudden the game ends and our team wins. We're like, that was a really good game. That was awesome. That was great. Refs were really fair. Our coach is awesome. Do you see those great plays? Man, I want to see the highlights. You want to watch the highlights with me? That'd be great. You know? But if we're on the losing side, how do we respond? Bunch of cheaters, right? They paid off the refs. Do you see that call? That was horrible. And we begin, we're, we're all not rational when it comes to sports, right? And then we follow down. It's like, we should fire the coach, the whole athletic department. That quarterback's horrible. You know, we begin to go down this road of why everybody needs to be fired because we're listening to our feelings. People did this last year when Kentucky lost. They were 38-0 going into a game. They lose one game and, oh, we should just get rid of Cal Perry. You know, and so it's like ridiculous because we listen to our feelings, not the facts. And when we go through these trials of life, say you lose a job. You've worked this job for like 10, 20 years and you've been really good at the job. And then your feelings begin to press in and they go, well, I'm worthless. I'm never going to find another job. This isn't going to work out. I'm terrible. You begin to listen to your feelings and, and you go on this journey where you're going from anger to bitterness. You're like, maybe my, my boss's car could make a really good explosive. All right. You're just kind of go down all these roads of I'm, I'm nothing. I'm mad. I'm terrible. You know, all this stuff that goes on. This is kind of what it's like when our feelings are driving the train. Maybe. And that's the beast. It's my favorite roller coaster or my wife's favorite roller coaster. And one of the things that I always think, I don't know if you, you ever go through the tunnel of the beast and you have your hands in the air. Okay. I know I'm five, six and there is no way my hands are going to hit the top, but my feelings say, uh, uh-uh, right. Uh, ain't no way I'm holding those things up right now. Um, because, uh, my feelings are driving the train and it takes me all over the place. If I let my feelings drive my life all the time, I would have made some horrible decisions, right? Anybody else? I wouldn't have ended up with my wife. I would have gotten married way earlier because I love these girls. They were amazing. I mean, I would have gotten married in middle school, right? It was like, she, she's perfect. It's the one, right? And so we, we go by feelings and we would make horrible decisions. What we've got to do is we've got to flip these two. We have to say, hey, feelings... You need to get to the back of the train because I'm going to trust in what I know to be true. And when we can let the facts of what we know to be true direct our faith, 
and be the engine of our life and let the feelings follow, this is where we begin to know that our God's in charge. He's got better things in store. He's conforming me to the image of Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. He said, most of the problems in our lives come from listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. And for many of you today, you just listen to your feelings, you let them rise, and you feel like everybody's against you and all these people are stupid. We've all had those moments. But instead today, may we come back and say, God, I know that you're working out things for my purpose, for your purpose, and for my good. I'm going to hold on to you in the midst of this season. Because you see, there's hope in us, for us, and hope anchors us through the storm. Hope holds us when it gets tough. And Hebrews lets us know that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul that will hold us in the midst of the storms of this life. And then we end with knowing that there's highs and lows and this foundation of truth comes to, in my life, reminding me that the hard times are the things that actually define me more than anything. And they taught me so many good things. When I tore my ACL, I thought, this is over, it's terrible. But in that season, God helped me understand my identity in Christ more than any other season of my life. When we walked through a couple miscarriages, it was incredibly hard. And I remember just grieving in the midst of that season. And what I, I began to understand what pain was like. And I began to see that God is is good even in the midst of my pain. And I began to hold on to him even when I couldn't see the answer. And that showed the genuineness of my faith more than any good season I've had. And it continues, and it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And so it's letting us know that all these people were hoping and looking forward to this day when Jesus would come. And he came. And then angels even long to look into what you and I get to experience. Angels get to see and be in the presence of God, but they don't get to experience the presence of God in them like you and I do. You see, there's hope in us. There's hope for us. While we're walking through trials, hope anchors us. And God's rescue plan is this. There is hope through us. Bill Hybels uh, coined this phrase. He said, the local church is the hope of the world. And he wrote in his book all about that. And here's the reality. There's a plan A. It's the local church. There is no plan B. God has chosen to use you and me for his purpose. And a section of his book says this. I realized that this meant we need to enable everyone in the church to make the maximum contribution they can. And we need to get leaders to lead and we need to teach everyone to serve and to give generously and to invite young people to be a part of things as soon as they can. And then it occurred to me that we need every church to reach its full redemptive potential. There is nothing like the church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. 
Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to the seekers and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of the world. The potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. You are, if you know Christ, we are the hope of the world. For the area that we live in, this is plan A. We represent the encouragement, the love, the joy, the peace that is found in Jesus Christ today to all the people that either enter this room or that we encounter as we go throughout our lives. But there's three types of people in here today. There's some of you that have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're trusting in the hope of your good deeds. I want you to know today that Jesus offers a better hope, a solid, firm hope that's not shaky based on what you can do. There's others of you in here today and you've declared some situations hopeless in your life. And you need to come today and say, God, I need your hope. I need your hope in this situation. And there's others of you that you're, you've just been living life and you've been not really looking for how God wants to use you. And I want you to know today, hope is meant to be lived out through you. And he wants to place his hope in us to set the temperature of our culture and say, God, use me to bring hope to the people around me. I want to be used by you for your kingdom. So we're going to do a little exercise as we close today. What I want you to do is I want you to sit and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to put your palms up like this just to receive from God in this moment his hope, his freedom, his direction. And so for those of you that haven't received Christ yet, and today you want to place your hope in Jesus. I want you to just simply say, Jesus, I need you. I receive you today as my Savior and Lord. I thank you for the hope I can have. I don't want to be separated from you. I want to know you and I want to be with you in this life and for eternity. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. And then there's others of you that you need to continue to sit with palms up and say, God, I need to know there's hope. I need you to fill me with hope in this situation. I need, to, I need you to fill me with hope on behalf of others. I need to, you to fill me with hope in the situation that I'm in. God, I receive your hope today because I'm hopeless, God. On my own, I'm wearing out. I'm tired. I'm weary but I'm going to place my faith in knowing that you are in charge, that you are good, that you are working things for your plans and your purpose. And today I place my hope in you. I receive you, Holy Spirit, in this moment. So receive his presence in your life right now. You know, it's amazing the gift of hope and how powerful hope is. And we've got a beautiful opportunity for you guys. In two weeks, we have the easiest opportunity to invite people to church that you've ever had. We're going to have service at 1030, and then afterwards we're going to have inflatables and a cookout and a party. We're going to watch some of the Bengals game. We're going to have, I don't know, it's going to be amazing. Dessert trucks, car show. It's going to be awesome. And we're so excited um, for you guys to pick these up on your way out. These are not flyers. These are invitations. 
that we want you to put in people's hands, your neighbors, your friends, people you work with, and say, hey, I want you to be with us on Family Fun Day on that Sunday. It's going to be amazing in two weeks. Next week, we get to be back in the worship center. It's going to be fun. It's newly renovated. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be cool. But then, in two weeks, we get to represent and be hope to people that need it. And so I want to pray just a benediction, kind of blessing over you as you leave. From Romans 15, verse 13. This is my prayer for you as you walk out. You remember that there's hope in us, for us. It'll anchor us and it's through us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go and be hope this week to people that need it. And if you need to know what hope is, come pray with us up here. Because I'd love to help you know hope. Be blessed. Have an incredible day.